Y'all good? Good, because we're going to go a little bit further. The law of first mention means whenever something is mentioned first in the text, whatever definition is attached to that word when it is first mentioned, it carries that meaning throughout the totality of the text. Here's our problem. We try to understand revelation without ever really understanding Genesis. But your revelation theology will never be right if your Genesis theology is never right. Because Genesis is in seed form what the rest of the Bible blossoms into fruitful trees of revelation. That's why he said there is a river There is one river, the streams of which make glad the city of our God. The Bible, starting with Genesis, reveals stream upon stream upon stream of revelation truth that uh, that finds its consummation in the book of Revelation, but it starts with Genesis. Y'all looking at me like I'm speaking in Latin. Okay, Let 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 me dial this back just a touch. Let me say it this way. All revelation in your Bible is progressive. God is constantly giving an ever-increasing revelation of himself. As a matter of fact, whenever God speaks to you, and then he speaks to you again, the second time he speaks to you, he exceeds the revelation of himself that he gave to you when he first spoke to you. The first time God spoke to Moses, God spoke to Moses out of a burning bush. The second time God spoke to Moses, God spoke to him out of a burning mountain because God always exceeds himself. That's why the Bible uses language like from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from strength to strength. Revelation in your Bible is always progressive. It's always unfolding new intricate details and new hints of truth that we've never seen before. Let me give you an example. When you get over into the book of Genesis, when we read about Adam and Eve falling in the garden, we get the first glimpse of redemption when your Bible says, and God killed an animal and he took the skin of an animal and he put it around Adam and Eve and they were clothed. That is the first glimpse of redemption that we find. But when you leave Genesis and you step over into Exodus, now we understand it was the skin of an animal but Exodus tells us it's not just the skin of any animal. Now it is the skin of a lamb. And then we pick up the, 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 the revelation that now it is a lamb. Then we leave Exodus and we get over into Leviticus. Now it's not just the skin of an animal. It's the skin of a lamb. Now it's not just the skin of a lamb. Now it is the skin of a male lamb. Then we pick up the revelation that he's a male. Then we go into Numbers and we pick up the revelation that none of his bones are going to be broken. And the revelation continues to build upon itself until finally we hear John the Baptist standing in the Jordan River saying, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world because revelation is progressive. The very first time God provided a lamb, he provided it for Abraham. God first provided a lamb for a man. God provided a lamb for a man. Then we get over into Exodus and God provided a lamb for a family. Then we get over into Leviticus and God provided a lamb for a nation. And then we get over into John and now he is the lamb that takes away the sin of not a man, not a family, not a nation, the entire world because revelation is progressive. Am I making more sense now? Revelation is progressive. So if you're ever going to get your revelation theology right, you've got to have your Genesis theology right because in Genesis is the seed form of everything that we see popping up again all over the totality of Scripture. In Bible study, we like to call it an echo. You hear echoes 
all throughout the Bible of things that were initially spoken in the book of Genesis. For example, when you get over into the book of Revelation, you hear this statement that John is seeing this tree in heaven and the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. And John called it the tree of life. You can't just read that and say, oh, there's a random tree sitting up in heaven in Revelation. No, you got to go all the way back to Genesis. When Adam encountered the tree, Adam encountered the tree over in the book of Genesis and then over in Ezekiel, Ezekiel saw the same tree. It's not different trees. It's all the same tree. And God is giving echoes of these revelations. And finally, when Jesus is dead, when Jesus dies and is resurrected and he comes out of the tomb, do you remember what Mary said? She said, behold, he's the gardener. And we just brush over that. But the reality is she was calling him by his new assignment because the first Adam was the first gardener of the first paradise. But the second Adam is the new gardener over this... We need to save this for small group. Okay, so I could, we could talk about this for the next year. Okay, so I'm going to stop right there. In Genesis is the seed form, it's the seed plot of every great truth in Scripture. That's why the first two chapters of Genesis are absolutely packed and laced with the totality of the purpose of God. For example, Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Take the big leap out of Genesis 1-1. Jump all the way over. Skip Malachi, skip John, skip Acts. Land over into Revelation chapter number 21. And he created a new heavens and a new earth. Do you see the connection? Do you see that it's one book? You read over in Genesis chapter number 3 that there is a crystal clear river of life. You take the leap out of that. All the way over into Revelation chapter number 21, and we encounter the same river of life. John and Adam saw the same river. John, Adam, and Ezekiel all saw the same tree because it's all one book. All right? Now, when God, I probably, I might make some, I might make one or two enemies right here just for the people that, that care about this stuff. Some of you don't care, and it's fine. When God got ready in Genesis chapter number 1 to lay out his account of creation, listen to me good. God is not attempting to write a science textbook of how the earth was created. Okay, Here's where I'm going to make some enemies. Personally, I don't believe the earth is 6,000 years old. I believe it's 4.5 billion years old. That's very much beside the point. Because when God is writing, when, God, when, when Moses is recounting God's acts of creation, he is not telling us this is how these things came to be and when they came to be. Watch. When Moses is recounting God's account of creation, he is not telling us how something came from nothing into being. He is telling us how God took what was already there and brought order to it. Do I believe God created all of it originally? Of course. But your Bible says in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. There was no form, and it was empty. Formless and empty. So what does God do? On day one, let there be, boom, light. On day two, let there be a firmament in the skies of the heavens. A firmament, right? Talking about the sky. There be a firmament. On day three, let dry land appear. Light, sky, dry land. Light, sky, dry land. God is not creating. God is bringing order. Watch. 
Then when you get over into day four, which corresponds to day one, in day four, God says, now let there be sun, moon, and stars. He created light on day one and put the sun, moon, and stars inside of it on day four. On day two, God created the firmament. And on day five, God put birds of the heavens inside the firmament. On day three, God created dry land. And then on day six, God created man and put him in the dry land. This is what God's trying to tell you. I have to form it and then I can fill it. But I cannot feel what I have not previously formed. So Genesis is God showing us how he creates, how he brings order to disorder. And if there's any area of our lives where we want God to feel with his blessing, he's saying before I can feel it, I have to bring some order to it. Clap for myself. I have to form it before I can fill it. Before I can, before I can pour out to you all the money you've been asking me for, I need you to build a container called your life that can handle what you're asking me to give you. Let me say it this way. This, I, I think I might be going a little too deep. Y'all are fine, right? Earth does not respond to heaven. Heaven responds to earth. Or said this way, God blesses when we have properly built. Is what you're building for consistent with what you're believing for? You want God to do all of these things in your life. And then we don't prepare as though God were going to do anything that we just ask him to do. Right? Can't take care of a one-bedroom apartment and want 6,000 square feet on 10 acres. It doesn't work that way, bruh. You're not building for what you're believing for. And before God can fill it, God has to form it. So before we start talking to God about blessing us, we need to talk to him about making us. This is what I used to tell our young people down at our Bible college. God does not build ministries. God does not build churches. God builds people. And then he empowers the person to build whatever he's assigned them to build. But God's not interested in building this. God's interested in building us. And then if he builds us right, he can fill this with whatever he wants to fill it with. But we have got to be the containers that have been built for what we're believing for. Is that making sense to you? So, God, first six days of creation, the first three, he forms it. Second three, then he feels what he forms. I mentioned that last week. I just touched on it last week. God has to, God has to form it. Then he can fill it. Watch this now. Watch. And then your Bible says in Genesis chapter number two, after the six days, God formed it. God filled it. Then Genesis says this. And then finally, after God had formed it, after God had brought order, then God rested. And then God blessed it. God rested, 
then God blessed it. The order is what qualified the earth for God to rest on it. And when, when, when the earth was at rest, God could bless it. Hang in here, hang in here, hang in here. Watch. You ever, anybody in here ever, you ever moved from one place to another? I'm sure everybody in here has. Right? You ever moved from state to state? Okay. I used to have one theology about hell. I used to think that hell was what the Bible described, you know, fire and all, all the stuff, weeping, gnashing teeth. And then finally, when we moved to Tennessee, I changed my mind. Hell is you having to constantly move your stuff back and forth between locations for all of eternity. It's a joke. I don't really believe that. I don't want to see a post on Twitter about OMG, they have a weird hell theology. <laughs> But hell is moving back. You really get to know who your friends are when you have to move. Right? All your buddies, all your pals say, hey, I'm moving Saturday. Ah, oh, well, man, I'm going to be out of town. <laughs> I'm moving Saturday. Oh, bro, I wish I could have. I got to wash my hair on Saturday. I won't be able to. <laughs> I, I won't be able. That's my prayer day. And, you know, I don't let anything interrupt my prayer day. The devil, you're a liar, you're a lying spirit, lying devil. But you know, when you move, you move to your brand new house, you have all these boxes, U-Hauls, kids. You think moving's bad? Move with small children. Move with small children. I, I still have trauma from the whole experience, but when you move and you move to your new home, there's disorder everywhere. Right. Unless you're that guy that labels all the boxes and has a spreadsheet of which box contains what items, which we are not. Right. You just throw it in. Y'all ever seen us pack up the trailers at the end of the... <laughs> Where's this guy? I, I don't know. We, we hope it's still there by next week. There was something this morning. I said, where is that? We're like... I don't know. All right, it's fine as long as it helps us get loaded up fast. So when you move in, you have this disorder. And before you can rest, you have to bring order to the environment. Right? You ever had a, you ever had a dirty desk at work? I know you haven't. I have. But ever had a dirty desk at work? And just cleaning it is like a psychological transformation. There is a rest that comes because order has come. And God says all of the stuff, this, this life with no stress that we're asking him for only happens on the heels of allowing him to bring order into our life. Okay? So when you move into a new house and you put all your furniture up and you hang the pictures and you put this here and you put the pans up and you put the, you put the floor, ain't it amazing how stuff can vanish in thin air? When you move, I'm surprised we have all of our three kids still. And when you get moved in, then you're at rest. But being at rest does not mean you cease from activity. Being at rest means now I can function the way I was called to function. And so oftentimes we want God to be moving in our lives when in reality God's still trying to bring order to our lives. We want God to start sending the blessing, but God is still busy in the building of the home. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? So sometimes we get frustrated because we're believing God to do one thing at one stage of our life, not understanding we're not at the blessing stage yet. We're still at the building stage. He's still trying to bring order to us. Oh, if I had, for example, don't don't ask God to bless you financially when you're still not tithing the way he told you to tithe. Slide that right in there and I'll move. He even said, if I do that, then I'm putting money into a bag that has holes in it. If I sent you blessing, it would drizzle right past you. Because there's no order. And because there's no order, I can't function the way you're asking me to function. There was coming a storm last night at the house. And I was looking out. I looked out the bonds to, to, to see what was happening. And there's a gutter right beside our window. And I was thinking about this message. And God spoke to me and he said, did that gutter work? I said, well, yes. He said, no, it didn't. He said it functioned, but it did not work. And God wants to get us to a place in our life. When we allow him to bring the order in our lives that he wants us to bring, there is a level of rest that comes, and he can move inside of that rest. As a matter of fact, after he rested, then he blessed it. The blessing comes when we have created the life in which God can rest. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? I need Al here. Where's Al at? Al would be giving me, giving me some props. It's like when God tells Adam. He tells Adam in the garden. He says, when Adam fell, when Adam fell, this is what God told him. He said, you're going to labor in the sweat of your face all the rest of your days. You're going to labor in the sweat of your face. Why? Because disorder has finally come. Because you sin and now disorder has run amok. But if you would operate in the order, Adam, that I called you to operate in, you could have a blessing that came without sweat. You could have a blessing that came while you rested because you've allowed me to change and transform and build your life the way you've ca- I've called you to build your life. It's the same thing that happened in Solomon's temple. You remember in the Bible when God got ready to build Solomon's temple? He told Solomon, when you get ready to build this temple, I want you to take the stone and I want you to walk the stone away from where the construction's at and I want you to take the stone into a secret place where nobody at the temple can hear the chisel of the hammer and then I want you to cut that stone just right. I want you to fit that stone just right and God's saying that's what I've got to do with you I've got to take you away from the activity and I've got to take you into the secret place and you've got to let me start chiseling and cutting on you the way I need to chisel and cut on you so you can fit into the place that I've called you to connect to it's anybody hearing what I'm saying how do you let God build your life you go get alone with God and you let him put his finger on anything in your life that he wants to put his finger on let him put his finger on that attitude. You let him put his finger on the way you talk to your husband. You let him put his finger on how you treat your wife. You let him put his finger on how you handle them kids. Come on, somebody. Talk back to me. Am I telling the truth? You let him put his, you let him put his, put his, fing, put his finger on those finances. Ask God whether or not it's a smart idea to run that credit card up to $15,000 on dumb stuff. Ask God. Let him put his finger on that. To get mad. It's right. It's right. Let him let him put his finger on it. God, I, God, I need you to build me into who you've called me to be, so you can bless me with what you've called me to carry. 
And if there's anything in my life that would prevent your blessing from getting into my life, then God, you can put your finger on anything. Because to the degree that you allow God access into your world determines the degree by which God allows you access into his world. And God, there is nothing in our world that you cannot touch. There is nothing in this church that you cannot touch. God, there is nothing in this church that you cannot say. There is nothing in this church that you cannot do. All we want to know is that we are built according to the pattern that you've called us and assigned us to be built according to. Hallelujah. Y'all with me? He brought, he brought formation then he filled it, and he said, when I fill it, I'm going to rest. And when I bring rest, just like when you move all your furniture in, now you can function. Now you can work. God cannot work in a disordered life. Did you hear what I said? God cannot function. God cannot move. God cannot bless. God cannot promote. God cannot bring increase. God cannot do all of these things until he gets the order out of us that he's wanting for us. And so we hear, we hear all these messages about blessing and transformation and more than enough and too much. And the devil is a liar. And I'm the head and not the tail. And I'm the first and not the last. And no weapon formed against me will prosper. And we still go home with the same habits with the same mouth, with the same attitude, with the same strength. We're asking God to do new things in an old life. I don't know what's going on this morning. I'm going to have to pull y'all along. Come on, I'm trying. This is supposed to be a message without sweat. So we ask God, God, do something. And God is saying, what are you building that I can do it in? What are you creating that I can move in? Because if you want me to fill it, you've got to form it first. So if I really sat down with you across the table over at Starbucks and said, what are those areas that you know are out of order in your life that we're believing for, but we're not building for? We're praying for, but we're not preparing for. Oh, the mockery it must be to ask God to send something that we couldn't even handle if he did. Good things too early can be overwhelming. Blessings can become curses. If you can't manage $20, you can't manage $2 million. You have to show yourself faithful at one stage so you can have authority at another stage. You don't need a Lexus if you can't take care of the Pinto. They don't even know what a Pinto is, do you? They don't even make those things anymore. Huh? It costs you $20 to change the gas in a Pinto. It costs you $2.99 to change it in a Lexus. <laughs> we are praying for things we're not preparing for. And James said, when you ask something from God, ask in faith with none of your life wavering. So when our words say one thing, but our life says another thing, we're wavering. When, young, when I see young people all the time, when they want to get in ministry, 
but they have no study life. You're wavering. What are you going to say were I to give you the microphone? They want to be this, but they haven't been that yet. Let me see, let, let, let me see if I can. Let, let me give you this example. Um, for the women in here, you're not going to care about this debate, and I understand that, but for the men in here, let me make an announcement to all the young men in the room that are listening, Blake especially. Um, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. Okay. Don't start, don't start the other stuff. Just, just, just hush. Stop. They asked him one time, they asked him, I remember, I remember listening to this interview, they said, what do you think about all these young athletes coming fresh out of high school, and before they play their first NBA game, they're signing $90 million shoe contracts? What do you think about that? Before they play one NBA game, they sign a $90 million shoe contract. I mean, I'd, t- I'd take $100,000. $90 million shoe. He said it's destroying the game. He said because we're giving them amenities that they have not earned. And so it steals the motivation for them to be excellent. And we're wanting, we look at that and we say, oh, that is true, that's right, that is so right. And we want God to do the same thing to us. We want God to send us stuff that we have not prepared for. And it would destroy us in the process. And I just got through saying, God's not trying to build it. God's trying to build us. So if God has to delay it, God will delay it in order to work on you. So whenever God doesn't do what you want him to do, when you want him to do it, instead of having, people astound me. I know people that come to church twice a year, and then when something breaks out in their life, they pray and then have the nerve to get an attitude with God. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? So when it doesn't happen the way you wanted it to happen, when you wanted it to happen, it's not about it. God could get it to you. God's not trying to get it to you. God's trying to get you to where he wants you to be. It's not about blessing you with the stuff. It's about turning you into the man and the woman of God that he's always destined for you to be. And if he has to hold off on all of the candy that he hands to you, then so be it, as long as that's the process that forms you into who he's called you to be. It's not about it. Yes, he could bless you. Yes, he could send $5 million to you tonight. Yes. He's powerful enough. He's powerful. At our old church, we tell, we don't need your money. We're not, we're not taking up tithe and offering because we need your money. We don't need, God's going to pay the bills regardless. If we have to go fish and pull it out of a fish's mouth, then so be it. God's going to pay the bills. This isn't about us. This is about God forming you into the container, forming you so he can fill you. And then after he fills you, he rests and he functions and he blesses all because you allowed him. To mold you, shape you. He's still working. He's still working on me. Right? He's still working on me. Between where you are right now and where you want to go, there's a gap. Between where you are and where you believe God's called you. You mean there's one word that fills that gap. Change. How do I get from where I am? where I believe he wants me to be? Simple. You have to let God kill you. 
I should title this sermon, God is trying to kill you. If you ever ask that question, God, are you trying to kill me? The answer is, yeah. Ding, 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 ding. They asked Smith Wigglesworth. Well, I grew up reading these stories about Smith Wigglesworth. This is a great healing evangelist, a great revivalist. And I grew up reading these stories about how he would walk through places and his clothes would heal people. Just deep, powerful, overwhelming, transformative stuff. And then I, I was thinking, oh, that's going to be me. Yes, glory to God. I'd practice at school. <laughs> Ain't nothing happening. And then I read... Wigglesworth a little bit deeper. And somebody asked him, they said, Brother Wigglesworth, how does God use you the way he uses you? He said, simple. He had to mow me down 10,000 times. Is God trying to kill you? Yeah. He's trying to make you. He's trying to form you so he can feel you. But if we say, God, send it, if we ask for his blessing, but we rebuke his chastisement, it is a mockery to think, I want all of your yeses and none of your noes. <laughs> so cheer up this morning. I'm trying to encourage you in some twisted kind of way. That we can walk in a blessing where there's no sweat. There's no stress. God just moves and feels and overwhelms. All because we allowed him to turn us into who he wanted us to be. 